0: All right, boys and girls, listen up. Uh, For those of you that bought one of these, uh, there's 12 coming in the morning. And then uh, I'm going to ask Pastor, I want to give everybody one of these. Okay, so if you bought one, you get another one for free. And you give somebody, because I'm so sorry I got to go, but I got to go. So I'm going to give everybody one of these. So uh, you let us know, Pastor, let us know, give us a number. We'll ship them up here and everybody get one. Now, this is real good. This is real practical. This is just not a nice book. This is what saved Denise and I. Uh, this is what we actually did to get out of the mess we were in financially years ago. So this is sort of a testimony more than anything. It's our longest seminar. It's about eight, about eight hours. I'm more of a book person than a listing person, so everything that's in the seminar is in the book. One of the greatest things in the book is in the very back. It's called Financial Websites. Uh, God bless our government, there are free websites with free information about free stuff. And most people don't know that. Jesus said, you know, you have not because you ask not. And so whatever you're going through, somebody has an answer, somebody has a solution, there's an answer to your problem someplace, but you've got to go look for it. Before you get to that in the back of the book are 63 books on finance, books on finance. These are my favorite ones. I've read all of these. I've read more, but these are the ones that I like. Okay, Uh, I recommend them. I think they're good. They're not all Christian, but they're all factual. Most are Christian, and so law uh, money's uh, got a. There's a law. It's like it's like gravity. There's laws that govern money. That's why some people have it, some people don't. You got to work the laws that govern money, and so we're going to learn something about that tonight. Because one of the things I wanted more than anything after my children were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to be productive. You got to be productive. Because need is a horrible thing. That's why God said he would supply all of our need. But there's ways that he does that. So what we're going to do is I'm going I'm to speak sort of quickly here. So I'm going to pretend that I just saw you for the first time. And so we're going to kind of go to the beginning. We live on planet Earth uh, in our solar system. Uh, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, if you took our sun 93 million miles away and you made it and we made it proportionate in size... If we made the Earth the size of a peppercorn, we could sit it right here, 28 feet away would be an 8-inch volleyball. And that would be our size versus the sun's size that heats us up right now. Okay? Now, that's just in our little solar system. We live in the Milky Way galaxy that is 100,000 100, light years wide. That's how fast you travel at the speed of light in one year. The speed of light is 186,000 miles a second. If you go at that speed and stay at that speed, if you travel that fast for one year, you can cross the Milky Way galaxy. We're one of 93 billion known galaxies. Now, I'm trying to do something for you. It's really big. God is really big, and it's bigger than that. That's just all we can see. You know what I'm saying? It's still expanding. Yet the hairs of our head are numbered. The days of our life are numbered. God orders our steps. Knows what I'm going to think before I think it. God is very detailed. And we had to go through this year when we were teaching intercession prayer because people would pray to God like they were it's just squalling, like it's just, oh God, oh. It's like that doesn't move God. You know, if that moved God, there'd be no suffering on this planet. What moves God is the word. And so God's real big, all-powerful, all-know, all-all-knowing, all-loving. He said, I know what you need for you. Ask. ask. I want to supply all your needs. And so you're going to have to get a mental image, I believe, of who God is and who you are. You know, who's your father? God. Who's your big brother? Jesus. He's praying for me right now. You believe in angels? My God, I'm around me right now. So many of you can't count. God's going to order my steps, direct my paths, guide me in all truth, show me things to come, give me sweet sleep, surround me with a shield of divine favor. You understand? you got to get it in your Sadiq. It's just rote. You don't even struggle. With it. It's just, who are you? Child of God. Bad things ever happen? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I was just... My baby was playing on the bed one Sunday morning when I went to teach Sunday school. Denise came come to second service. She fell over unconscious with spinal meningitis. And, you know, two hours later, my doctor said she had a 50-50 chance of living. I didn't do anything wrong trying to teach people about Jesus, but the devil tried to kill my baby. You know, 10 days, you know, in intensive care, we came out healed. Like, like, what happened? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm just glad we came out. You know, a drunk driver ran a red light one night, hit my two daughters head on in their car, and they happened to have my pastor's daughter in the back seat with them. That could have been ugly. You understand? But my girl, especially Jessica, man, I told them, if hell ever hits, you get to pray it in tongues as loud and as fast as you can. Don't get your brain involved. Just let the Holy Ghost pray the perfect will of God through you. And so <laughs> he hit them head on up the front of their hood, across the top of the car, and down the backside. It just squashed that car. And that's one of these really good old European cars. It had about 300,000 miles, but it's built like a brick. And so it cr- crushed, but it didn't squash them. They were safe inside, and all the windows busted. Well, I happened at an intersection right across from a big fire hall. So the fireman come running over, and, of course, the drunk, he's out like a lot, ran into a pole. He wouldn't even hurt. But the car's busted, man. The engine's on fire, and the hood flew up, and so they're dragging him out because the doors won't come open. Well, Jessica's jumping up and down like a pogo stick because she did that. she get upset. Oh, and so she's screaming in tongues. Well, the, the fireman thought she was in shock, and so they strapped her to a gurney and took her and my pastor's daughter, who was also screaming in tongues, off to the hospital. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, called me and said, Dad said, I need you to come up here. We've had a little fender bender. I said, fender bender, what fender bender? So anyhow, I got up there and it was 34 miles away because they were babysitting my pastor's daughter that night and I got up there. And of course, it wasn't a fender bender. That car's total, squashed, boom. And I'm screaming, fender bender. Well, I didn't want you to get up. said, well, fender bender, my God. You know, I'm just screaming because I'm, I'm born again in spirit field and you know. <laughs> And so I said, "Well," the said, "Nobody's hurt, dead. Nobody's hurt." I said, "Well, where's Jessica? Where's Charity?" I said, "Well, they, they took them to the hospital. Hospital? I thought you said they weren't hurt. Well, they weren't hurt. They don't take you to the hospital if you're not hurt." "Calm down," Jessica got out, and her and Charity started jumping them down like they're on a pogo stick, screaming in tongues. And the firemen thought they were in shock; they couldn't get them to stop speaking in tongues. They didn't know what they were doing, and they thought they thought they strapped them down. We we had to go to the Hillcrest Hospital and stay almost all night for four hours while they you know sort of interrogated them. You know, stuck lights in their eyes. Okay. How many fingers, you know? And so everybody goes through stuff. Jesus went through stuff. We go, what are you going to do? I'm a child of God. And I don't belong to this world. I've been translated out. i have in a different kingdom. I don't belong to the devil. I'm still in his backyard, but I don't belong to him. You know, I, I, I got peace. I got favor. I got protection. But I have to use it. And so what God was looking for, when you go back to the beginning with Abraham, or Abram before he became Abraham, I'm looking for somebody. that When I give you something, you'll pass it on. So I'm going to try to do this methodically. I'm sorry I'm speedy tonight, but I won't get both these sessions in. I'm not going to leave you undone. Genesis 18, 19, God said this. You can write the chapter and verse down. I'm, I'm thinking in the New Living. It's good in every translation pretty much. Uh, so I'm going to quote kind of from the New Living. God said, I know, Abraham, that he will teach his children and his children's children. Why would you pick him? He'll teach his kids. Well, he did not have any kids. Well, I'm going to give him some. His wife's going to be able to get pregnant, and his seed will be as the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. It's like, now, oh, Lord, you can't even count that. So I'm going to build a whole new race of people out of him, people who trust me. And then all of a sudden, you get down to Deuteronomy 6. Once the law was given, I command you to teach your children when you get up, walk by the way, sit down, and lie down. What's the whole goal here with these new people? Teach. Teach. We're all born doofuses. We're all born empty-headed. We're born knowing Nothing. That's why you've got to teach early. That's why the commands are to teach early. Psalm 78, and I'll just read this because I kind of like this because I quote it so fast people think it's not real. Uh, Psalm 78, I, I like the way this reads. Uh, I'm just going to jump into verse uh, 4. Psalm 78 verse 4 said, uh, We will not hide these truths from our children. What truths? It's talking about the law. We're going to hide what God says is the right way to live. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell... We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they will in turn teach their own children. Now, if you're counting, that's five generations. Teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great. If you live long enough, your great-great-great-grandchildren. Why? It says right here, That says, uh, uh, teach them even the next generation. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles, because we forget, and obeying his commands. Then they will not be as their ancestors or their fathers, the King James says, who were stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled in the day of battle. What's the purpose? Their fathers had no strength. They were trained to use weapons, like we're trained to use guns and shields and tanks. They were trained, but they had, the King James says they had leanness in their soul. You might be physically trained, educated, have a degree, but you need faith. Without faith, we don't please God. Without faith, we don't whip the devil. I need you to teach your children, your children, why? That they might set their hope in God because faith is built on hope. You ever met a hopeless person? The most frustrating thing I've ever dealt with in my life is dealing with a hopeless person. Faith won't work. There's no concrete to build it on. They've lost all hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Suicide rates have never been higher. You know, I got a f- friend of mine I'm doing a seminar with Friday night in Oklahoma. His son hung himself when he's 12 years old. He was the most witnessing kid in church. Witnessed all the time. Did sermons in children's church. Had, I mean, more scriptures memorized than anybody i ever seen. At age 12, fell in love with a 12-year-old girl. She dumped him. He took a rope, hung it on the fence bedroom, jumped off the bed. I don't think he intended to kill himself. I think he's trying to just shock everybody, and it went too far. The devil never plays fair. He's an equal opportunity hater. John 10.10, he kills, steals, and destroys. This isn't a religion. This is a war. We've already won, but we have to use our stuff. Now, I love my kids. I do. I love them. But I told them, you better be... Fellowshipping with the saints, meditating on the word of God, resisting the devil, repenting and forgiving on a regular basis. Because if you're not repenting and forgiving on a regular basis, you get what we call spiritually constipated. Nothing can move through you. You're full of stuff. I could draw you a diagram be good enough. Uh, let's just read this. And I like this. i uh, try to walk through this. Uh, Psalm 127, 128. I keep quoting it. I've already read Psalm 112. Praise the Lord, those that fear the Lord, delight in obeying their commandments. Their seed will be mighty upon this planet, or their children will be successful everywhere. Who? People who fear God, delight in the commandments, the word of God, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Uh, Psalm 127, uh, verse uh, 3. Children are a gift from the Lord and a reward from God. (laughs) I told you on Saturday, first time I read that, I said, well, that's a lie. (laughs) Some monk wrote that. He didn't even have any kids. Because I got six kids. There's not a rewarding thing about it. Cost you everything. Can't even matter how much they cost you. You think they're expensive when you had them born. (laughs) It's going downhill from there. They're going to chew the corners off the end table, get stuff out of your billfold, flush stuff they shouldn't, not flush stuff they should. It's like... Lord, if that's a reward, you need to go love my neighbor. You've loved me enough. <laughs> but there are two lists of rewards in Proverbs. In our parenting seminar we got back there, we talked about children bring grief, sorrow, and shame. Proverbs says so. They also bring honor, peace, and prosperity. There are two lists. By the time I found the list, I realized I, I, I'm on the wrong list. How do I get on the right list? Well, I have to teach and train. They just don't turn out right. Well, you never know how they're going to turn out. I do. If you don't train them, they're going to turn out stupid. The devil's going to work on them. He's going to send people across their path. He'll send laborers. I've got to teach them the word of God because truth sets you free. And you're not taken in by the lies of the enemy. So I'm 128. Well, let me go ahead and finish reading this. The children are like, uh, born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the enemy gates. Verse 1 of 1, Psalm 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. I mean, if you ever do just a word study on the fear of God, you will go dancing. To, we'll have to tackle you and make you tie you down. <laughs> fear of God is one of the greatest studies in the Bible. Every time you're about to fear God, joy, happy, happy, joyful, joyful, happy, happy, joyful. Ooh, people that fear God. Why? Because I'm covered. I want to obey Him. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Well, that's good. I want to do that. Mm-mm. Said, uh, how joyful and prosperous you will be. We'll put that on a bumper sticker. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine. Well, kumbaya. Flourishing within your home, your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table consuming all your food. No, I added that. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. <laughs> like Whoa. Now then, I'm just going to quote the rest of these. You can hang with us. Isaiah 54, 13, all of your children shall be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. Isaiah 29 and 10, whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God, those winged from their mothers, line upon line, precept on precept, here, a little there, a little Children learn by repetition. Don't ever say to your child, how many times have I told you? Don't do that. That makes you look incredibly stupid. How many times do I have to tell you over and over? Line upon line, pre-simple, pre up. here, little, there, little. Just keep telling them. I tell them it as a joke, but I'm serious. One of my kids, I, I told them to brush their teeth forever. They'd come downstairs, did you brush your teeth? No, we'd appreciate it if you do that. Next day, come to, did you brush your teeth? I forgot. We'd appreciate if you do that. Fifteen years, two weeks, and three days later, did you brush your teeth? Yes, I did. Revelation knowledge has come to our house. So how long do you tell them until they get it? That's how long you quit telling them how many, how many times. Don't say that. Don't count to three. Don't count to ten. Don't count at all. Just tell them. You know, if you're willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. You're trying to get them to be instantly obedient. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. You Know what we covered last night in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Well, you can't obey what you're not being taught and told. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that has a promise with it. It'll be well with you, and you'll live long. I said, obedient kids live a long time. So our job is to teach and train and train and teach and teach and train. I'll be listen. I still work with my older kids. They come by when I'm in Tulsa on Thursday evening. They come by the office. We'll do about a one-hour Bible study, or I'll show a film, or I'll give them something to read. Hey, I read this. I've seen this. I'm still striking iron with them. I still, if I see them, I, I talked only one of them today. But I'll ask every time, what's God been telling you? What's God been telling? you? Before I hang up, what's God been telling you? I make them put a demand on God, because you're not. We have kids come out to camp Dry Gulch, <laughs> and because we part of the things ride the horses and canoe and all that, but it's also to milk some cows. We got some milk cows. We've had kids out there. We give them the little tin cups to go out. Uh, we've had kids out there before we sit down on the stool, and, and before we could ever get to them, they'd stick that cup and they'd shove it up under an They didn't know how it worked. And one kid one time said, which one's chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) Said that, (laughs) no. We have to mess with that. And so you go through the process of teaching and training, and that's why this, this has got to be your life. Um, I'm going to kind of cover it a little bit on money tonight, but there's three basic scriptures, 3 John 2, 3 John 2, 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. How, what's my prosperity tied to? Well, my soul. Uh, Joshua 1.8, you know, says this, I'll prosper, be in health as my soul prospers. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. I'll prosper and be in health as my soul prospers. That's why I would tell young men who dated my daughter if they're thinking about marrying them. Um, don't take this wrong, but your checkbook reveals your soul. My bank statement is a reflection of my soul, according to those three scriptures. I'm prospering as my soul prospers. So I remember the first time I started meditating on all those, I thought, I must not be doing too good in my soul because my bank account doesn't look too good. I might be saying I believe, but according to the Word of God, if, if that's tied to my prosperity, I don't. it's not looking too good. I must not be believing what I think I believe. I must be believing something else. And of course, you don't know what you believe until pressure's put on you. You have to have pressure put on you. So I'm going to give you two basic scriptures to start off with tonight. 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's look at this real quick. 2 Kings chapter 4. Man, this is awesome scripture. I'll read again from New Living Translation. 2 Kings chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. This is, One day the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Now, she's not looking for what she has in the house. She's looking for a handout. I need some benevolence. I'm broke. My husband's died. He loved God, feared God, served God, and died broke because he worked for the prophet. This wasn't nobody. This guy worked for the big-time prophet in the land. My husband has died. He loved God, feared God, served God, died broke. Knowledge about God is not knowledge about money. I'm going to say it as slow as again. Knowledge about God is not knowledge about money. Knowledge about God won't teach you how to drive a car. You have to go take lessons. Knowledge about God won't help you play a musical instrument. You need lessons. Why? That's all that's going to Train, 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 train. Jewish fathers, and I'll just throw this at you real quick. Jewish fathers, you know, if you, um, once you turn five, boys didn't, girls didn't go to school, boys did. Boy turns five, he's now going to go to school. Mamas don't take him, daddy's take him. Okay, you turn five, you're coming up from under your mother, dad takes over, we're going down to the local synagogue, your rabbi's also your teacher. The day the boy turned five, father dresses him up, in this little linen ephod, and gets him all cleaned up. He's got this little slate he carries with him. They go down to the local rabbi, go to his house, come in, and this is the first day of school. And the rabbi writes in the form of chalk. It's not chalk like We do something else. Exodus 20 about, says, the law will be my calling. Writes it on his little slate that he's brought with him. This is his first day. Come in, meet the rabbi. What are we going to do today? Well, school's going to be really short today. We're going to do one thing. He writes on each little kid's slate, the law will be my calling. So the kid's got that. That's good. Then the rabbi comes around with a jar of honey and pours honey down that slate. Just, just ruins his Walmart slate. And he's thinking, what, what are we doing now? And then the rabbi says, lick it clean. You're kidding. So I'm sure he's looking at his daddy. This what yep. So he licks it clean. Okay, that's the end of the first day of school. We're going to dismiss school. Now you come to my house. You go to the rabbi's house. His wife's made what we would think of as a sweet cake. Now, it's not icing, but it's a form of icing, and they've they got a different name for it that I don't pronounce well. And then the icing on top is Exodus 20 again. The law will be my calling, and they each get a piece of sweet cake. And then they go home. Mom said, how was school? Well, we licked some honey and ate some cake. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> I hope tomorrow is just as good. And the purpose was to let you know this will be your life. You will eat it. You will consume it. It will be sweet. It's going to save you. This will be your life. The word of God, Christ knew the hope of glory. But I go back what I shared, I think on Saturday, Mark 4 says, when you get in the word of God, the Bible says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. It's the only time in the Bible he comes immediately. What's he coming to do? Steal this out of my heart. Why? He doesn't want this to take root because this is what whips him. The sword of the spirit, God's word in my heart coming out of my mouth. The devil knows that. That's why he's trying to make sure we can, man, we can dance, flop, roll, have a Holy Ghost meeting. Just don't read the book. We've had healing revivals, Holy Ghost revivals, dancing revivals, singing revivals. We not had a word revival. Just think about it. I've been through every one of them. I flopped, dropped, rolled, and had a great time in God. Wasn't any more mature when I woke up than before I fell down. This is what scares the devil. This brings salvation. This brings victory. This brings life. This is not a rule book. This is a person in written form. This is Jesus who went into hell and whipped the devil. So, all of a sudden, when you think about parenting. Well, I just want my kids to bring honor. Well, they will, but I want them to do it because they're doing it as unto the Lord. Because their kids, my kids are going to learn early. Dad and mom are not perfect. I mean, they picked up early we weren't perfect. And we tried to fake them off as long as we could. But eventually they realized, you're not perfect. And then, of course, they'd hear stories from Grandma. I know what you did as a kid. Yeah, I was a doofus also. Don't go back there. uh, This is where we want to go. God's mercies are new tomorrow. So we want to start training in the Word of God. And so that's why I tell my kids, I want you to read your Bible. It doesn't make you holy. You don't get a gold star next to your name because you did your daily Bible reading. If you didn't understand it, it didn't do much for you. You need to get the understanding. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The three go together. Knowledge brings wisdom. Oh, I got that. What you understand, nobody can steal. you got it. I know how to do that. I understand that. And that's where we're trying to go because you're going to leave my home eventually, but this will never leave you. You know, as a parent, I think, man, I've got to make sure I know what my kids are doing. And I did. When they're young, I'll give you this. I didn't teach this, but uh, from, uh, from zero to 12 is training time. Zero to twelve, I say jump, you say ha high. This is how we're doing things in our house. Well, they don't do it at their house. Well, you're not at their house. You're at my house. At my house, this is what we do. You know, I remember my kids hit teen years. They wanted to go out sometimes and with other friends and we kind of taught someone that and they would. Social events where there's a lot of kids and adults. Uh, but I expected my kids to be home by eleven-thirty. Of course, their senior year, I'd give them to midnight. You know, because I know where they are. I got the phone number. I know who's in charge. Midnight, you better be in my house. It's like Cinderella. you going back to a pumpkin. You better be in my house. And so one time they had a thing about senior year, and they're going to have a party at 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, no, you can't, you can't stay that long. Well, Dad, it's all the Christian kids from the Christian school, you know, the Christian families at the Christian church that we go to that we all know that are Christian. <laughs> and I said, listen to me, hon. I've read a newspaper my whole life. I've never read about anything good that happened at 2 a.m. Stupid things happen at 2 a.m. 2 a.m., you need to be in bed. Sun goes down, you go to sleep, sun comes up, you get up. It's a real simple system. Don't mess with the system. And so I realized from 0 to 12, I'm going to ask you, I'm not a dictator, but we're, we do things, we do this this way, and I'm not counting to three, and I'm not telling you twice, okay? I need you to instantly obey because this will save your life. But around 13, that's come. there's the teaching time. Now I'm going to tell you why we do this why this is done, why we believe this, and, you know, go through that whole process. Um, I think I told some of these, but I remember um, going through the cereal aisle of a grocery store is like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When I grew up, we had oatmeal, cornflakes, and Cheerios. That was it. But now, there are two aisles. I mean, every shape of corn and oat, and you cannot imagine how many shapes they can put that in. And so taking six kids down through there, it's like one box, okay? One big box. Y'all get together? One box of cereal. Not six, one. Well, by the time you get out of the aisle, they've all got a box. i yeah, Fine. Shut up. Put it back. Get the oatmeal. We're eating oatmeal this way. I like oatmeal anyhow. Get the oatmeal. And so I remember we, uh, we were a two-week shopper, and we shot, it took two carts to get out. So we're driving, pull up to the grocery store in the Suburban there in Bixby, and we're about to get out one day. And Denise says, Joe, before we get out, uh, we need to do something about the cereal. And we're doing something about it. We're not eating it. We're going with the oatmeal. <laughs> no, you're bragging on teaching and training. You're going to have to teach them and training how we're going to do this. We're going to eat the oatmeal. It's healthier for you, Joe. Come on. So I look over. Because the they're staring at me. This is going to be one of those moments. I said, anybody got any paper back there? Give me a piece of paper. Tear it up in six pieces. Each one of them put your name on it Folded fold it up. Is that a cup down there? Get that nasty cup. Get that stuff out of it. Give me that cup. Put your name in here. Draw a name out. Corey, Corey, you're first. Second name. Jessica, you're second. I went down and John was number six. I said, John, you're number six. What does that mean? You're not eating cocoa pus for six weeks. <laughs> Corey gets to choose what cereal we're eating this week. She won. So, Corey loved Cheerios. Not honey nut, just plain sticky finger in your throat Cheerios. Yes. And so, Corey, Corey. So, we're checking out. She's got the giant box, man, hugging that thing. She's thrilled. I looked down at Tessa, you know, she got kind of a tear in her face. I said, what's wrong with you, baby? You all right? You sick? Oh, right. I said, me neither. Tell you what, why don't you fast this week? If you will fast, we can stretch this box for two weeks. Maybe you'd like to use your faith and choke these skanky things down because the sooner they're gone, the sooner we're getting to Applejack. So Denise was always at the table the night before we get up the next morning, got all the cereal set and getting ready to go to school, but we'll come in, or eating Cheerios. All of a sudden, we're there. Now, I've got five girls. My youngest is a boy, so it was different having some testosterone in the house. He just came out different. And so all of a sudden, John's come to the table. He's got his little cereal bowl. He sits at one end of the table. I'm at the other. The girls are on the side. John's got him a Tupperware bowl. He's walking to the table with a Tupperware bowl. Denise's John would no, and I said, no, no, whoa, wait a minute. We've got some testosterone in the house. Let's see what he's going to do. Set that Tupperware bowl down. He put about a third of a box of Cheerios in there. <laughs> About a fourth a gallon of milk. <laughs> I said, we got, that's a man. Come on, get in there. And so we're talking, Vincent, he's working on, them, you know. So I look, okay, time to go. School, let's go, go, let's go. Get up, get up, get your stuff, let's go. And I'm kissing Denise by. And as I'm heading out, I corner my cotton I noticed that John's Tupperware bowl is still full of cereal. I thought, you little rascal, you're faking me off. You didn't eat that cereal, you were faking I so said, Denise, put a lid on that, and you put that in the refrigerator. Well, you can't do that. and If you don't, I'll pre-soak a bowl tonight. You put that back in the refrigerator. <laughs> He's not getting away with this. And so I forgot about it. We get up the next morning. We're all there, and the little bowls are set up, eating Cheerios. And I said, here comes John with another empty Tupperware bowl. I said, oh, hey, son, we already got you covered. Here, put that back. Got you covered. So I went and got that bowl. <laughs> and I love Tupperware. And I set that Tupperware down by in front of it, and I popped that lid, and it went... And it looks like somebody has puked in that bowl. Cause well, those chairs are swollen and skanky. I said, son, I'd recommend you eat this today because it'll be worse tomorrow. Well, he's trying to eat them. Of course, the girl, oh, gross. said, shut your face up and eat your cereal. And John's trying to eat them because he's just choked. Blowing them out of his mouth and his nose. Tears come down his face. I'm telling you, son, you better choke them down. You better get them down. Don't you spit that out. He's trying to eat him. Of course, everybody's mad at me. And finally he said, i would be excused. Fine, put a lid on. Let's soak her another night. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and so, so he's going to the kitchen. Of course, Denise is kind of half mad, and some of the girls are giggling. And so our kitchen, uh, where we eat, we got two big double French doors, and I can see the reflection. I can't see the kitchen, but I can see the reflection in the glass. And I saw John sent that Tupperware bowl up on the counter. I saw the refrigerator door open and shut, and that bowl's still sitting on the counter. I thought, you little rascal, you better not pour that down the sink. And I'm trying to watch what he's doing. And I saw him reach because we have a big blender right there on the, on the counter. And he took the lid off the blender and, <laughs> and <laughs> 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 poured those chairs in. And what he had got was the Hershey syrup. And he held that thing, <laughs> put the lid on it. <laughs> <laughs> he poured her back in that bowl. And, buddy, he drank her down. I said, my God, I've raised a genius. I have raised a genius. Problem-solving machine. Now, there's just so many stories about when you're training and teaching, like you're not going to like everything you do, but you don't get to choose what you do. God, number one, is going to call you and gift you. Your job, I'm going to say this politely, your job is to fix hell. Matthew 5, 9, how we started on Saturday morning. Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the problem-solvers. Okay? What do you do? Well, I'm going to solve problems. I fix stuff that's not working. Again, what the church does, we feed the hungry, water the thirsty, visit people in prison, help orphans, help. What do you do? We fix busted stuff. Christ us the hope of glory. We're bringing hope to a dying world. We don't rap about it. We fix it. you got to get yourself in your mind as a child. What do you do? I fix busted stuff. I get paid to fix busted stuff. If I go to work and there's no problems, I won't have a job tomorrow. They hired me at work to fix something that's not working, to make something, to do something. That's why I got hired. If there's nothing to do, I won't have a job. That's a deep thought. So when anyway, you come back and you realize the guy said, train, teach, train, teach, train, teach. And you come through this process like, well, here we are. Now here we got this, this guy who loved God, feared God, and served God. Now look at this. I'm gonna show what happened to him. he come in and says, uh, he said, uh, he said, They're coming uh, the, the now, a creditor, my husband's died. A creditor's now coming threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha said, Tell me, what do you have in your house? He said, Nothing, she said, We're broke. All we've got a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Well, go borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your son, shut the door behind you, and pour the olive oil from your flask, that little half a cup. For into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. She did this. Watch this now. She did this as she was told. Her sons kept bringing to her uh, jars until each one's filled, one after the other. Soon every container was filled, filled to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, they told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Now, basically what she did was she took these flasks of olive oil, went down to the marketplace, set up a card table, got a money box, and sold all that oil, paid off all her debts, and retired. Now, the point of the story is not that. There's five great points in the story. The big point of the story is this. Here was a man who loved, feared, and served God and died broke. Just because you know about Jesus does not mean you know about money. Okay? 97% of all Americans have no working budget according to the U.S. Census. They don't know how much they owe, how much they own, how much they earn, or where it goes. God is a God of stewardship. What I do not steward, God will take away. Remember the power of the talents? Five, two, and one. Five, double to ten. Two, double to four. One just went and buried it. Jesus is telling the story. The master comes back. What did you do with the five sections of land I left in charge? Well, I worked them real hard, master. I mean, I worked it good. We irrigated it, and, man, we did stuff. And so it it produced so much fruit. I know I did not have your permission, but it produced so much fruit, I went and bought five more producing sections of land. You are now the proud owner of not five, but ten producing sections of land. Jesus is telling the story. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make your ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord comes to the guy with two now the first thing i'm I'm doing this kind of quick the first thing is one guy got five now the master left one guy three guys you're in charge of five sections land you're in charge of two you're in charge of one jesus said each one was left in charge of that amount based on their ability to handle it so we got a socialistic communistic mentality well that's not fair they got more than me well maybe they can handle more than you god's got a stewardship The more I handle, the more I get. The more I handle, the more I get. The less I handle, the less I get. It's a law of the kingdom. Why did not he get five? Because he's proved he can handle five. You've proved you can handle two. He's proved he can handle one. That's why he's only getting one. And of course, the end of the story proved out. Jesus, the master, came down to the guy with two. What'd you do? Well, Lord, man, we worked us cattle hard. We wormed them and did everything. Man, we produced a great crop of cattle and we got so much that I had to go buy some more land. You're now the proud owner of not two, but four producing sections of cattle land. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you the ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Comes down to the guy with one who just figures he got the raw deal to begin with, but you find out why. What did you do with my section land? He begins to cry. Lord, you're a hard man. You reap when you don't sow. You give when you don't sow. I was afraid. I just didn't want to break it or bust it. So I went and hid it. I went and buried it. And the master said, go get it and bring it to me. So he brought it back in its original condition. He didn't bust it He didn't break it. I just protected it. Here it is back in its original condition. Jesus said, the master said, you wicked, lazy servant. Mm. said, take it from him. Give it to the guy with ten. Not the guy with four. The guy with four got bragged on, but he didn't get the extra. Ten <laughs> that the has shall more be given. Ten that half not even that which has shall be taken away. Now, we say it this way. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. The rich get... Ri-. Jesus said it first. Just, just different King James. And I've told my kids, if you don't steward your life, what God's given you, he's not going to give you anything else. You can buy a lottery ticket until Jesus comes. And we have a lottery ticket mentality in America. It drives almost every state. People want to get rich quick. You know, the Proverbs has three scriptures. If you get it quick, you lose it quick. Now, I don't remember the exact numbers. either 84 or 86% of all people who win the lottery in America, state or national lottery, 84 to 86%, I'll just use 85%. that will be close enough. We'll lose it in three years. If you have a $30,000 soul and you win $30 million, in three years you'll go back to $30,000. A human will not allow themselves to make more money than they think they're worth. That's why we judge all rich people. Well, that's not right. Somebody live in a house that big, have that many. That's not right. That's not right. You don't know them. you know them? No, but that's not right. Why? Because you don't have one? So what, what, you want to join a communistic nation, so we all be the same. We don't have to grout about anybody. We'll all be poor. Except the dictator, he'll have plenty. When Castro took over Cuba, you know what the first thing was he did? He pulled all the nuns out of the Catholic school. First thing he did. Put his own people in. That's why Cuba won't overthrow Castro or his brother. Because they've been told since childhood that Castro's their savior. Castro's picture's on every wall. Castro's your hero. He saved us. He redeemed us. Then why are we broke as dirt? Why do we not have paved roads and plumbing that works and food in our stores? Well, Castro, and they won't overthrow him because they think he's good because they've been told since their childhood that he's good. You believe what you hear the most of. You know, during World War II, we've, we passed a law that no one man in America could own more than two radio stations. I'm sorry, three radio stations or two newspapers at the same time. You know why we made that law? Because Hitler took over Germany and Europe because he controlled the media. You believe what you hear the most of. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God it comes from what you think on don't think on those things think on these things whatever's lovely honest just praise for the good report control what you think about why cuz you're going to have what you think about as a man thinks in his heart so is he thus the criticalness from genesis to revelation on teaching 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 there's a religion on our planet approaching 2 billion people who've trained their children to blow themselves up. Because if I can blow myself up, I go to paradise. I'll have a whole lot of blonde virgins, and it's going to be incredible. And they believe it to the point they blow themselves up a lot. Now, their daddies don't blow themselves up. Their children blow themselves up. You'll never read of a daddy blowing himself up. He got his kid to blow himself up. Because you, they, they're in school, they're praying five times a day and they're in school every day learning who they think they are, who Muhammad was. You believe what you hear the most of. Any call, why do you believe this? Because I heard it and I heard it and I heard it. And the devil did the same to them as he did to Adam and Eve. He gum flapped them out of their whole home. You've got to guard your, do you understand how critical, do you know how blessed you are to have a great teaching Pastor. I mean, you are blessed. Whether you like his personality or don't, doesn't matter. You understand that? Because what you love about teachers is that they are just really straight. They don't. My daughter's a teacher, professional teacher. And she's very compassionate, but she doesn't tolerate anything wrong. She has a bent for truth. She doesn't care who you are. She's looking for truth. She did that as a heathen before she got saved. Truth. That's not true. And it's like, who cares? I do. You know, true. Because truth sets you free. Thank God you got somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth. Amen. Don't hug my neck. Tell me the truth. You understand that? And so we go back. What's important in the church and with our kids? And again, I don't care if your children are 55. There's still hope. What are going to do? We're going to start sowing some truth. Tell the truth. Set you free. Now, I'll give you this. I like this right here. This is, um, oh, goodness, let me do this. Um, now, I, I could quote a lot of secular people. I used to collect the biographies, you know, um, Oh, Martin Luther, you know, great German reformist, wrote this. He said, "I am afraid because in Prussia they were starting public schools." And by the way, oh gosh, I'm gonna just—I'm it's my last night. I taught education. I was an educator, and so worked where are you for ten years. And uh, education, where it came from, that was important, you know. Um, everywhere we planted a Christian flag, we started a school in the history of the church schools were critical you know schools are critical what you teach so martin luther you know great reformer he realized something he said this they started schools in prussia and they did it on purpose they didn't like having people in poverty poverty stricken people are a threat they'll storm the castle and kill the king and it happened a lot i taught history over and over what do you want we well, want an educated group of people no well, i'm not making this up this is in your public library. Prussians came with it first. America adopted this when we started public education uh, in Massachusetts because Catholics were pouring into America by the boatload, and the Protestants were terrified. And so what are we going to do about these Catholics? We need to start a public school system. We'll make it free, get them away from the parents all day long. If we can get them away from the parents until they're at least seven, they'll never go Catholic, and we'll be able to control them. We're not going to separate them by intelligence. We're going to separate them by year. Don't let the smart ones get together. Don't let the math students get with the math students, the science students get with the science students, the business people get with the business. Keep them separate. And we will control the level of education they will attain. Prussians came up with it first, 480 years ago. So the Prussians come up with this system, what are you going to do? We need to educate the people. Why? We want them to learn how to earn a living. So we're going to educate them. We're going to teach them how to do things. Everything from build wheels and carts and plant stuff. If we can get them to make money, we can get them in debt. If we can get them in debt, they won't be a threat. They can't afford to protest. They owe too much money. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, in the first cabinet meeting with President Washington, it has a famous quote. We're trying to set up the law. You know, they were going to make George Washington king, by the way, not president, and that's sort of a goofy story. They don't put that in a movie. And so Thomas Jefferson, at that first cabinet meeting, said this. His first statement, his first statement of was, we must put America in debt. Why? We cannot afford to be independent. If we make ourselves in debt to other nations, uh, we'll behave ourselves. We can't afford to do anything stupid. The Prussians did it. we got to teach them. And so they started public schools to teach their kids. Well, what happened was, and you go all the back to church history, God wasn't allowed. This isn't anything new in America. And so Martin Luther wrote this statement, I am much afraid that these public schools will become the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor explaining the Holy Scriptures Embracing uh, it into the hearts of our youth He said any institution that is not constantly occupied with the word of god will and must become corrupt And that's what happened to them So abraham lincoln said this, you know talking about the next generation He said we're one generation away from being extinct He said, our children are going to take over our corporations our schools and our churches It's not what we believe. It's what they believe They're going to take over everything the fate of our country is in their hands. We better be teaching them so, anybody that's had any sense of great leader, what's important? Next generation. We can play all we want, have a good time, have money, and die one generation later. Somebody can take them over. God understood that before all that ever happened. Why are you picking Abram? He'll teach his children and his children's children. What's the law of Jacob? Teach your children, your children's children, your children's children, your children's children. Your children's children. Why? That they might have hope in God. Why? The devil's going to come and lie to them. I know what he's like. He's a thief. He's a liar. You already talked Adam and Eve out of their deal, he'll try to talk them out of theirs. What do, you fight the, what do you fight that lie with? The truth. Then we should do teach the truth, meditate on the truth, speak the truth, talk the truth, think the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the way and the life, Jesus said. And so that's why it's so critical. It's not a religious thing, it's like it'll set you free. What do you know? I know the truth. Now, this is the deal I give with the kids, so I'll just read this. No one's scared with this, and it's almost dark. I can't read this after dark. This is, uh, I've got these sheets I've made for years. I've got hundreds of them I do for the kids, and I do a summary sheet on subjects, all the subjects of the Bible. This is the one on the devil, so I'll just give you this real quick because I'm trying to tell the kids, well, why do we need to know the Word of God? Because that's the only thing that scares the devil. Really? Uh-huh. John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have more abundant, Jesus said. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says this. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. Prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Well, that would be a good idea. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We must not quarrel with other people. We need to be kind to everybody. Able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we should uh, gently teach those who oppose the truth. Oh, my goodness. Why? that they might escape the devil's trap. What are we trying to do? Make you intelligent? No, because the devil's going to lie to you and I don't want him taking you out. I want you to know how to resist it. Oh, I love that. Why not? Bless you. Ephesians 6.16, in every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. James 4.7, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Luke 8, the devil comes to steal away the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan is the god of this evil world, and he's blinded the minds of people who don't believe. And you start going, through. what is he doing? He's messing with your mind. You know, Joyce Meyer wrote it not first, but first one to make money out of a book, The Battle for the Mind, The Battlefield for the Mind. you got to guard what you're thinking. That's why you can't just watch anything on TV. It's not that it's evil, although it'll produce it. You will think about what you feed on. So feed on something good. Encourage yourself. Edify yourself. That's why you got to meditate in the Word day and night. It's just something that will bless you. Now, Here's my fun list. I love this. We'll finish here with fun. It's called the Failures Hall of Fame. You type this on Google, this will pop up so many pages you won't be able to print them all off. This is what I believe names that you'll recognize. Now, I did this for kids. Most of these people are not saved. And I would do this with high school kids, trying to let them know, you need to get in the Word of God. God wants to bless you and prosper you, make you prosper. You're going to have to overcome, be more than a conqueror. You're going to have to war. You're going to have to resist the devil. But you will succeed. God promised you will succeed. Not that you won't have to fight, but you will succeed. But if you're not fighting, you're going to get stomped. God is not a human. He does not feel sorry for you. I'm I'm going to show up. No, he won't. He can't. It's not legal. Well, hurt uh-huh. him. He'll feel sorry for me. No, he won't. He can't. It's not his nature. Only faith moves God. Do you understand that? That's why you want to get in the Bible early as a kid. Why? Get that faith in you deep, man. So you grow up with it. Now, I just gave you this. This is this is my short list. I think you'll know these names. This is just kind of one liners. Albert Einstein. You know him, don't you? Albert Einstein. E equal M C squared. You know, he thought a lot of weird stuff. Albert Einstein was four years old before he could speak and seven before he could read. They said he was mentally retarded when he was born. Never did learn to comb his hair. <laughs> but he was a genius. Do you understand that? <laughs> like, didn't finish school. Like Isaac Newton did poorly in grade school. He'll never amount to nothing. Beethoven's music teacher told him as a composer, you're absolutely hopeless. Uh, he wrote that. Everybody that made it had to overcome a lot of stuff. I was sharing with somebody last night. Baptists built some of the biggest churches in America. Magnificent facilities. Massive brick. <sighs> Charismatics don't do that. Pentecostals didn't do that. I went to Pentecostal church when I first got Spirit Field. Doors deep painting. Man, there's more cigarette butts on the front porch than, than anything else. It was just uh, different. But we believed in the power. So the Baptist is not like us. Baptist, he'll hit a brick wall. If it doesn't fall down, he'll back up further and hit it again. If it won't fall, he'll get three people and they'll back up further and they'll hit it again. If it won't fall, they'll climb over it. They'll dig under it or they'll go around it. Only a spirit filled person will hit a wall. <clears throat> if it doesn't fall, they'll say, it must not have been God. For if it was God, it would have fallen over. I must be supposed to be doing something now. No, the hand of the diligent bears rule. The thoughts of the diligent tend to this, The soul of the diligent bear. Back up and hit it again. Well, it gonna, it gonna, what scripture is that? There's no chapter and verse on that. Hit it again. That's why the Bible says we're his sheep. He's our shepherd. We'll hear his voice. The voice of a stranger we will not follow. God, Listen, God says no more than he says yes. You know, God sent the prophet to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Saul's lost it. Sends the prophet over knocks on the door. Jesse opens the door. Hey, I'm the prophet of God. I'm here to anoint your son, king of Israel. Jesse says, I got a lot of sons. Really? Well, God didn't say anything about that. <laughs> well, get them all out here. <laughs> so Jesse lines up seven boys, oldest to the youngest. Man, Jesse says, man, which one is it? Which one is it, man? You know, because if you're a false prophet, you got stoned death at sundown. There was no MTV back then. The only entertainment was stoning false prophets. And it's like, oh, man, which one is he? He's got his oil there, and God's not saying anything. That well, I've got to move. The sun's going down. So he looks at the oldest. He thinks that's probably him, photogenic face, good-looking kid. That's probably the next king. He walks over. He starts to pour the oil on him, and God said, that's, that's not him. And that's close, God. Probably the second born. They're always more aggressive than the first born. It's probably the second born, you know. Starts to pour the oil on him, and right before he does, God says, that's not him. Mm-mm, I'm looking stupid, God. You want to give me a hint? No, just keep moving. Third no, fourth no, fifth, seven no's in a row. They're all no's. He's just standing there. Sun's going down. Hmm. You wouldn't by any chance have any more boys, would you? Yeah, I got one more. Really? Yeah, we don't let them in the house. Smells like sheep. Would you mind going and getting them? And the Bible says that the ruddy, complected runt of the family comes running into the house. And the message translation probably said, dear God, you got to be kidding. That <laughs> says, no, you're judging from the outside. I see his heart. He's our next king. So he walks over and he the oil, and says, you're our next king. God help us. Because <laughs> God picked him based on his heart, not his ability or his IQ. Oh, my goodness. Acts chapter 5, God calls Paul to go to the Gentile nations, go to the Gentile world. All right, let's go get her done. Packs up his lunch. You know, he's already been knocked off his mule blinded for three days. got filled with the Holy Ghost now, and he got his eyesight back. So he's going over to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. He gets up here and sets up his tent. He's about to have a meeting. God said, this, this isn't it. What? This isn't it. Well, there's a lot of heathen here. Yeah, this isn't the place, the wrong place. Where's it at? Well, you keep moving. I'll let you know. He goes to six cities in a row. Every time he gets there, I said, this isn't it. City number seven, Macedonia, uh, this is it. Now I can just repeat stories all day long because I did this with my high school students. God leads just as much by a no as he does yes. But if we're not moving, God doesn't lead at all. Proverbs 16 3 and verse 9. Commit your works to God. God will establish your thoughts. <laughs> you make your plans. God orders your steps. Let me do that again. You pray to God, God talks back. It's like milking a cow. If you don't grab the udder, the milk does not come out. You pray to God, God accepts your thoughts. You take your thought. You make a plan. God will order your steps. God will not order the steps of a human who has no plans. God does not cheat. We work together with God. That's why you need some plans. Proverbs 29, 18, no vision, people perish. I love this. Uh, Thomas Edison's elementary teacher told him that he was too stupid to learn anything and kicked him out of school at age 12. You know, a thousand patents, you know, the same guy. F.W. Woolworth got a job at a dry goods store at age 21. His employers would not let him wait on customers because they think he did thought he didn't have enough sense. He, he bought him out four years later. The Walmart before Walmart was famous. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he had no creative ideas. (laughs) I like this. Leo Tolstoy flunked uh, out of college. Warner von Braun, you know, the big rocket guy, flunked the ninth grade algebra. Admiral Richard D. Byrd was retired from the Navy as unfit for service, and in his spare time, he flew over both the North and South Poles, mapped them out, and the Navy took him back. Robert Frost was the fair for more than 20 years. (laughs) For 20 years, people say, what, what do you do, Robert? He said, I'm a poet. A what? I'm a poet. I write poems. Really? How many have you written? Oh, lots. How many have you had published? Well, none. <laughs> now watch this now. I love this thing. Uh, he was 39 before he sold his first volume of poetry. His poems have now been published in 22 languages. He's won the Pulitzer Prize four times. If you don't get to your kids, they'll give up. I didn't make them all I didn't make them <laughs> all they didn't invite me to their party. I don't have any friends. No likes me. The devil goes early to make you feel stupid and bad, embarrass you. And so by the time our kids turn 18, they're just trying not to look stupid. What's your goal? To not look stupid. I'm trying to show off, act big, because I feel so stupid. That's why we didn't put Christ in the hope of glory early. Righteous are as bold as a lion. Get out and go do something. Oh, I love that. Alexander Graham Bell was a failure most of his life, suffering one humiliating setback after another. Spent most of his life being laughed at and ridiculed about that thing called the telephone. Lord have mercy, dear. I brought a lot of checks for that. Louis Pasteur was rated as mediocre in chemistry when he attended the Royal College. Winston Churchill flunked the sixth grade. Abraham Lincoln went into the Black Hawk Wars. The captain came out as a private. Man, that guy's dumb. We got to demote him. That's one dumb guy. <laughs> it's a great movie. I loved it. Uh, this is his political history by the way and you surely read this but 1831 this is Abraham Lincoln 1831 failed in business 1832 defeated for the legislature 1833 second failure in business 1836 had a nervous breakdown 1838 defeated for speaker 1840 defeated for elector 1843 defeated for congress 1855 defeated for senate 18- 1856 defeated for vice president 1858 defeated for senate 1860 Elected president. For 29 years, he did not win a single election. Hey, guy, you got your face on our penny. If you'd have met for 29 years, said, what do you do? I'm a politician. Really, uh, what office do you serve in? Well, none yet. I've lost about 16 in a row. (laughs) Well, that kind of stupid. Thank God he kept running. See, the biggest thing, a kid needs a vision. What do you call to do this? Well, there's going to be opposition, but if you've got a vision, you will make it. This guy wanted to write a children's book, and he wrote a wacky one, too. It was weird. Now, he was a millionaire, big money man, engineer, famous, but he had an idea for a crazy children's book. He went to 23 professional publishers in a two-year period trying to get that book published. He said, man, I think I got a great idea here. I think I got something unique. He said, everyone I made fun of said, man, don't quit your day job. That's the dumbest thing we ever read in our lives. Twenty-three national publishers rejected him in a two-year period. The 24th one said, you know, that book just might be dumb enough to sell. And six million copies of Green Eggs and Ham later, Dr. Seuss was a household word. Now, I can quote this stuff all day long. I collected over 1,200 to trying to help kids. I don't want to hear your thumb-sucking story. I didn't have a daddy. I didn't have a mom. Nobody feels sorry for you. They feel sorry for themselves. That's another story. Anyhow, uh, all of this, uh, Procter & Gamble, two boys married two sisters. Daddy didn't think they had any sense, so he set them up in a soap business, selling greeting cards and soap. They went off to a business one day, and soap machines were... Floating overflowing. The guy that was running machines were on the second floor uh, up in Cincinnati. They were on the second floor and all of a sudden it foamed over. He let it run too long, flooded the bottom floor. Guy comes back. Oh my goodness, Mr. Proctor finds us out. I am fired and slung. I cleaned everything up real quick, man, and it's just got a immaculate, and you could it you could still smell it. And so we got it back, and then the foam went down in the big vat that was churning, whoop, whoop, and they tested, they had chemists. Nope, it's still good. You've not ruined it. So they poured it and didn't tell Mr. Proctor. Well, they poured it and sold the soap. Six weeks later, letters start pouring into Procter & Gamble. What'd you do to the soap? Well, what? What'd you do to the soap? And Mr. said, was there something wrong with it? Yeah, man, there's something weird with the soap. What's wrong with it? It floats. The soap floats. Floats. And, of course, long story short, he found out what happened, that it foamed over. Well, it put millions of miniature bubbles. Well, now, you got to have been around for about 100 years to remember that only, listen, only 8% of Americans had a bathtub 100 years ago. Most people washed in a creek or a pond. You lost your soap all the time. <laughs> oh dear, Lord, where did it go? All of a sudden, the guy comes up with a bar soap that floats. It floats. I can't lose it. It just bounce right there on the pond. Just, it, it just bounced. They became a billion dollar company for several reasons. Number one, it floated, but there was only a half as much soap for twice the price. <laughs> It was an accident. <sighs> Howard Hughes, the billionaire, ordered some Voltaire 880 aircraft from General Dynamics in San Diego. Now, this is when he was going crazy. He's in Nevada. But he it, put a big down payment on it. They built the planes. They're going to ship them to them. They got ready to ship them. He's going wacky. He said, I don't want them. Well, you don't want them. We got a contract. You got a down payment. You, <laughs> we're bringing them to you. I don't want them. Keep them. Well, you owe us money. Sue me. And they did, tied them up in court for years. Well, the problem is General Dynamics built all these aircraft that are sitting out here on the tarmac. Winter's coming. They got no place to store them. They built them to deliver to the richest guy in America. He won't take them. He's crazy. I thought, man, what are we going to do? We we can't let, because the salt air is going to come in in the wintertime, and these planes are going to rust. So they called a company in Houston, Texas called Rocket Chemical. Three guys worked at Rocket Chemical. Said, man, we need a lubricant so lightweight it'll go into the microscopic pores of this exposed aircraft out here and force that salt water out so these things won't rust on us till we can get Mr. Hughes to take them. So they worked on a batch and they sent it to him. <laughs> he said, it didn't work. We need it really lightweight. He said, no, no, that's the most lightweight stuff we've ever made. Well, it's not lightweight enough. We need another batch. Well, it took almost six months. They made 40 batches. The 40th batch worked. And so they sent us a that's it. It works, man. We'll take a semi-load of the stuff. And so they typed up an invoice. And when the invoice arrived at General Dynamics, it, it, what, it, what it was, it was a water displacement. So it had a chemical number. And so General Dynamics said, we can't write a check for a number. You've got to call it something. Well, it's a water displacement. It's a chemical. It's a number. No, we don't want a number. We're not writing that big old check for a number. You've got to call it something. And so finally it was the secretary that kept trying to shorten it up, water displacement, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, it's wd four nine seven eight five. And so finally she shortened it up to WD-40. Three out of four American homes have at least one can. They had a really good Christmas this year. (laughs) Now, I could tell these all day long. The big pen was invented by a guy in Argentina. He thought he failed and he didn't patent it because the ink leaked everywhere. A Frenchman picked it up, looked at it, Thought, man, that is genius, that ballpoint pen. What a genius. And he kept looking at it. What's wrong when he realized it's not the pen, it was the ink. He redesigned the ink, and he patented it. And his name is Bijouet, and we shortened it to Bic. (laughs) Now, I could tell you 1,206 stories of people who didn't know Jesus from a stick in the mud overcame tremendous odds became very successful. The hand of the diligent bear rule. We have to get out of that charismatic Santa Claus mentality that our ship is coming in. No, we're going to swim out and get it. We'll just build a ship. You understand? God's good. He's got something in us. Um, <laughs> my favorite one was, was the one on Lifesavers. Um guy in Cleveland sold chocolates. Uh, Wintertime came. He stopped selling chocolates. Cause, uh, in the summer because they'd melt. So he sold hard candy. So he bought a hard candy machine. And um, <laughs> he bought this hard candy machine. And uh, it was a, it was a it, it's like a press. Flat machine. You pour out the stuff, mix it up, pour the mints out. And the machine would punch the round men out. Boom, 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 boom. Well, it, it, it was defective, and it kept punching a hole in the middle. <laughs> it's like, and, he could, and he couldn't get the company to take it back. You know, no money back guarantee. You bought it, it's yours. So he sunk five thousand dollars. This machine is going broke. Can't sell child, can't sell mints. A uh, traveling sales sold the confection came back from New York to sell the confection. This guy's griping about it, and the guy had a wild us. They said, hey man, I'll take a shot at it. You want to sell it? And so he sold it to him for like 1500 dollars Well, he's driving the bus across the country, so he had it ordered shipped to an apartment in New York. <laughs> so he's back in New York, worked on it for about a month, sitting there, man, another hole. Mm-mm. Trying to adjust another hole. And so his wife finally said, you know what? Sell it with the hole. You know, just give you someplace to stick your tongue into them. It's got a hole in them. She said, it looks like a life preserver. Let's just call them life preservers. So the guy packs them up, tender roll, and call them life preservers and sold them in the local candy stores. Didn't sell hardly any. Nobody wants a life preserver. If I go to a candy store, I'm buying chocolates for my sweetheart, not some mint to suck on. So he's going broke. He sunk the money into it. They have no hope. And so we're sitting there one day. And my wife said, he said, my wife said, you know, we're selling them in the wrong place. What? We're selling them in the wrong place. We've got Italian restaurants all over the city, garlic out the wazoo. We need to sell the mints in the garlic restaurants where the garlic is. And they made up a little metal stand and sold them, and they're a billion-dollar company today. Of course, they shortened the name from Life Preserver to Life Saver. That hole was an accident. The Big Pen was an accident. WD-40 was an accident. There is a God. I believe in every one of those companies there was a believer praying personally. Who's blessed where I'm at? Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to get saved, but this country will be blessed because I'm here. And he worked for three different heathen kings and ran their country. Why? I'm here. You've got to be blessed because I'm here. Now, because of time, I'm going to do this. This will be real good. I'll just close with this. Four things you need to know about money. This is an eight-hour seminar I'm going to give you in ten minutes. (sighs) Number one, this is chapter one. There's four basic chapters. Blessed or broke. Blessed or broke. It's your attitude about money. You've got to get a right attitude about money. Now, I'm going to read you this. This isn't a nasty stat, but this is from the U.S. Census. This is the U.S. Census. Everybody in America, the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare tracked people every year from ages 20 to 25 and found this. By age 65, for every 100 people tracked in America, 36 are dead. 36 out of every 100 people will not have to worry about retiring, they won't live that long. This is the census. Now watch this. This is where it gets funny. 54 out of every 100 people were living totally off government or family support. Couldn't afford to retire. They're living with their in-laws, their mother. Why? I can't afford to live. Now, if you looked at those numbers, 36, 54, that's what it is. Well, that's 90%. In the $22 trillion changed hands in America last year, we are the richest nation on the face of the earth and the most broke. Why? We are not stewards. We do not know how to steward our money. God honors stewardship. I don't care how broke you are tonight. I go, you start stewarding your money. Now, I said, that's to get a piece of paper. How much do you owe? A lot. Well, how much? God works off detail. Get a number. Well, you need a number. Five out of every 100 are working at retirement because they have to. That's why grandma's down there at McDonald's 11 o'clock at night with a Garth Brook headphone on. It's not because she likes Dr. Pepper's and Big Macs. It's because she has to work. Four are well off, and one is actually wealthy. So according to the census, only 5% of all Americans will be able to afford to retire. That's our government. Well, what is that? Well, that ties in real close to another number. 97% of all Americans have no working budget. So I'll take that 3 and that 5 and figure we've got a plus or minus 2%. Like, who has money? People that budget. The greatest financial miracle you'll ever do is budget. The single greatest financial miracle you'll ever do is budget. You'll get a piece of paper and a pencil, and you'll write down how much you owe, how much you own, where it goes. Now, don't do it late at night. You're going to go into depression. I'm gone. I'm broke. We're broke. Yes, you are. Isn't that it 's exciting? We have found the bottom of the barrel. Now, uh, these books are going to come. It's real simple. All these scriptures are in here. Financial warnings. Don't love money. Love God. First Timothy six. Don't become a slave to money. Matthew six. Wealth is deceitful, can choke out the word in your life. Hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because they make it their God, not because God didn't want you wealthy. Wealth and riches will be in our house, the Bible says. Never trust in wealth, uh, Psalm 52. Never set your heart on riches, uh, Psalm 62. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. That's a scary word. Proverbs 11. Beware of covetousness where you won't come because somebody else has got it. I don't want what you have. I want what I need. I don't care how much money you make. I need every dime of what I need. To make everything go in my family. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. When my grandfather died in Ducktown, Tennessee, we all went to the funeral. place was packed, Mine City Baptist Church. Mr. Mack was a good man. Mr. Mack was a good man. Forming out the mines, everybody loved him, paid his tithe, went to church, taught Sunday school, did what's right, paid his bills on time. He was a good man. Mr. Mack was a good man. Well, the thing is, when he died, we, we couldn't eat in the church. There's too many of us. So we set up the eight-foot tables on the parking lot outside the church for the dinner after the funeral. A lot of people had driven from miles away. Illinois come down from several states. Carolina came over. So we're sitting there. My uncle got up while we are eating all the chicken that day after we buried my grandfather, tapping on the table and said, okay, need your attention, appreciate everybody coming, but we're going to have to take care of some business. You know, Grandma and Grandpa, you know, work for the mines, but now that Grandpa's dead, Grandma has 30 days to get out of the mining house. Beautiful home. Mines supplied really beautiful homes. But if you don't work in the mine, you've got 30 days to get out. So Grandma's going to have to come live with us. Well, she's got 12 kids. So he said, Grandma's going to come with us this month. Uh, She's going with Nesbitt next month, Janice next month, Frank next month, Joe next month. For the rest of Grandma's life, it'll be the kid of the month where she's going to live because they did not own their house. The company owned the house. We did not have money for the funeral, so the casket and the gravesite out here are currently on loan from the funeral home. So we're going to pass the hat today and take up some money because we're going to have to pay for the casket, pay for the funeral, and Grandma's got a few bills we're going to have to pay. So they passed the hat like three times that day, and I remember my uncle yelling twice at people trying to sneak off. Hey, sit back down here. Get back down here. Now, I realized when I got older, the Bible said that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his grandchildren. Well, that means my grandfather might have been a godly man, but he wasn't a good man because he reached out of the grave Two generations down, shoved his hand in our pocket, grabbed a wad full of cash, and pulled it back in the hole with him. So biblically, my grandfather was not a good man. Now, why am I telling you that? Because you've got to stretch to get money. You can well, maybe one day it'll work. It won't. The devil's gonna steal everything you've got if he gets a chance. You gotta use your faith, you gotta sow seed, you gotta be a wise steward. There's laws that you're gonna have to start practicing to make this work. And it will work. God's looking to show himself strong. Then he goes on about how God owns it all and goes through all that, and it's, it's just real good. I'm not going to take time to do all this. Financial commandments. Ooh, that's real good. That'll just get you excited. You want to run. Uh, all the scriptures, every word in the Bible. This is, this is how this book started. I had three by five cards because I came out of poverty. My family lived real old. I mean, all my relatives lived old, just old as Methuselah, old. Uh, my Aunt Cora was three months shy of being 100. You know, my father just died. He's 97. My grandma was 99 when she died. We live forever. Meanest not, spit tobacco, and cuss the blue street. and we're going to live forever. Seems to have nothing to do with how long we live. But poor is dirt. Broke is dirt. Poverty spirit. Now, seeing, but I married in my wife's family, they got money. You know, he, he quit school in eighth grade. Money was never a problem. They had other problems. They had some health issues. There's a different devil in every family. But I had to get to the point where I realized i have been redeemed from the curse of the law, which was poverty, sickness, and death. But I had to remind myself. So I took all these scriptures on three by five cards. I still carry them with me in my briefcase. I carry them for years where I'd sit on a plane or I'd be sitting somewhere, and I'd just start flipping through. You know, and I just quote prosperity scriptures, wealth scriptures, health scriptures. Why? This is what God said I am. I'm the head, not the tail above, but not the, Everything I set in my hand to prosper. God takes pleasure in my prosperity. You know, God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, spine all my need, cause rich go Christ Jesus, wish above all things I prosper me in health my soul prospers. I mean, I can just start spitting them. Why? If I've done it for years. Why? Because we came up poor, poor. I couldn't keep blaming well, stinking boss won't give me raise, stinking government, stinking weather. <laughs> There's always somebody else's. I thought, well, if it's everybody else's fault, I'll never get any money. <laughs> I got to realize it's my responsibility. So these are all the scriptures on prosperity, abundance, increase, stewardship, lack, need, poor. I mean, I, I like them all. Uh, riches, uh, budgeting. I mean, I just wrote them all down. I thought, wow, I got to change my attitude. So first thing you do is you sit down and, and you realize God wants me blessed. I got to change my attitude. Second thing you're going to do is get a budget, and we've got one in here. You can go to any insurance company; they'll give you these forms for free. You know, you can just write down what you owe, what you own. You know, there's just um, they're just they're just forms. You just fill in the blank. Like I said, don't do it late at night; it will depress you. Ah, God, we're broke. Oh, help, mercy! I don't know what's broke. And so don't do that late at night. Then after you do that, <clears throat> these are money mistakes. These are common sense things. <laughs> these. I'm not trying to be funny. This is just almost depressing. It's so funny. Uh, these are all scriptural. I'm not going to read chapter and verse. You'll get it when you get the book. Co signing for somebody else's debt. Don't do that. Not being generous. You need to be generous. Gambling. God's got some warnings about that. You get it quick, you lose it quick. It's not good. Falling for a sales pitch. You ever notice every commercial they're yelling at you? Hey, come on down to bed with those right now. We're going to put you in the car right now today. We if you're broke. Got no money. No, we're going to put you in the car right now today. Why are you yelling at me? Because you're broke. Send no money, no money due for 12 months. We're going to charge you 29% interest, but you don't need to pay us now. We'll get it all from you later. (laughs) Arrogance, debt, bribery, not having a spending plan, getting rich quick. All those are scriptures right there. Uh, Seven bad habits. (laughs) These are all scriptures, oh, Lord. Uh, Wickedness, immorality, troubling your family. Ooh, that's a scary one. Refusing correction, covering your sins, laziness will all bring poverty. There's all scriptures on that one. Uh, This is the channels of income. Oh, Father, help me do this. I I mentioned I do it with my kids every year. I did it with our students. You got to help people find out what they're good at. What do you want to do? What do you like doing? So we do these tests, the unemployment tests, you know, discover your God-given gifts tests. I still do it with my family every year. We're going to do it once a year. I don't want them losing track of what they're doing. I said, you know, I told all my kids, we're believing God for scholarship for every one of you because I cannot afford to send you a college in the natural. Now, we're going to start believing God now, my wife and I have a vacations plan. We've not gone by ourselves on vacation for 36 years. <laughs> We've gone on vacation with the family, good ones. We got vacation faith, but never alone. We're getting ready to do that. And so for 17 years, I went to my family's farm for vacation. Every year, 17 years. Because now my wife's family lived two miles away, so it was sort of a mutual thing. My mom and dad, big old farmhouse, lots of bedrooms. Mom's a great cook. We got rods and reels, bass boats, hunting dogs, shotguns, and free nursery and babysitting, and no hotel bill. <laughs> and so we are, uh, we're driving back through Memphis and driving to Suburban, just having a nice day. And Denise says, Joe, Joe, we're not going to your family ever again for vacation. I said, June, mom, getting a fight. No, I love you, Mom, but we're not going there on vacation. We'll go visit for a couple of days. We're not going there on vacation ever again. I said, well, what's the problem, babe? She said, I want to go on a real vacation. I said, what kind's that? She said, the kind you pay for. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I said, well, babe, where are you wanting to go? We're driving through Memphis on so in Interstate 40. I said, where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to Disney. You mean as in world? As in Florida. Do you have any idea what it would take all eight of us to go there? I don't care. You've got a year to get us there. She leaned over the back seat. Hey, kids, guess what? Dad's taking us to Disney next year. And they got all excited. She looked back and winked at me and said, gotcha. (laughs) Now, for a year, I'm trying to help you. For a year, I used every ounce of faith I had. I believed God. I rebuked the devil. I pled the blood. I saved every dime. I took extra jobs. And so the next year, (laughs) we made it to Gatson, Alabama. (laughs) Motel 6 a little concrete swim pool, Chinese buffet, kids under 12 eat free, dollar movie theater, go for a dollar. And the kids kept saying, where's Disney? I said, it's south of here. <laughs> now, my wife did not yell at me that whole week because she knew I'd used every ounce of faith and every dime I had. So the next year, we made it to Jacksonville. We weren't on the ocean, but we could drive to. it. And so the kids kept asking, where's Disney? Well, it's south here. We're going to go to a Disney movie tonight, going to rent some, but it's, it's south of here. The third year, we went to the Clearwater Beach Hotel Motel, magnificent place. Clearwater Beach Hotel. It's a high-dollar deal. So we're there, there for 10 days. And so we're sitting there in the Gulf, sitting in the lounge chairs. Kids are playing in the water. And I'm sitting there, and my wife and I are so different. She's a perceiver. I'm an exhorter. I'm almost the female of the family. I'm the, I am got the pom-poms out. I said, I did good, didn't I, babe? Isn't this good? She said, you did good, Joe. She said, you did good. She said, but this isn't the real ocean. I'm not exaggerating any of this. What? This isn't the real ocean. This is the backwater. The real ocean's on the other side of the state. And I had words going through my head I can't repeat. (laughs) I have busted my can to get us here, put us in a really nice place, you know. She said, by the way, John, I want you to drive us over to Disney tomorrow. I said, honey, I don't have money to go to Disney. She said, I know that, but I want you to show the kids where you're going to take them next year. I said, fine. So we got up the next morning, went to a Hardee's restaurant, got a breakfast sandwich, drove over, (laughs) parked in the Mickey Mouse section, and rode that golf cart to the front entrance. And we we're there because they got those big old black bars, you know, the entrance where all those turn things are going. Because we're not going in. We're just there to look. Now, I told the kids, we're not going in. We're going to see where we're going. So they're all excited. They got out. Man, the tram's coming overhead. The train's coming by. Pluto was just inside. Had some balloons he was handing out. And my kids were waving. And we had a picture with Pluto. Now, he was behind the bars. We were in front, but we got our picture with Pluto. And, uh, and so and so we're there. And we stood there about 30 minutes because, man, you can hear the sounds, and smell of the food. And people are pouring in. And, woo, and this is going to be something, you know So. We turned over with our back to the entrance, and we had this little couple coming in. Hey, would you take our picture? And they took our picture with our back to the entrance of Disney. Well, we ended up going back to Tulsa, and I forgot all about it. And Corey, my third daughter that works for me now, lesson major, she was in the fifth grade. And I forgot about that picture. When you go back to school the first week on Friday, you get to stand up in front of the student body, your class, and for two minutes get to tell what you did that summer. Well, she had taken that picture, and I didn't know I'm oblivious. I'm earning a living. And so... She so said to the teacher, who eventually worked for me, by the way, she said, well, of course, it's your turn. Come on, and tell us what you did this summer. Okay. And she held up, we went to Disney. And everybody got to, oh, yep. and next year we're going in. <laughs> <laughs> that lady still gets me every time I see her in the grocery store. Hey, Disney, shut up. So the next year we went to Disney. We stayed at a really nice Ramada Inn. It was a nice Ramada Inn. In Orlando, we were there when they opened up. Got a one-day pass, and we were there when it opened up. And, buddy, I mean, we wore that puppy out. We stayed until the parade was over, rode the ferry boat back to the parking lot. Fireworks are going off. We are broke as dirt. We have had pizza and Pepsi, and I'm hanging over the rail. And I'm looking at Denise because I have to encourage myself. I'm like David. She doesn't do, She's not an encourager. If you cut yourself, she said, you shouldn't have cut yourself. <laughs> and, so, and she's a great mother, great wife. But I, I said, I did good, didn't I, babe? And she reached over and kissed. You did good, Joe. This is great. And that took four years to get there. I said, I appreciate it. Of course, the place is packed, and the wheel's turning. And we're having a good time. So we're going back, and all of a sudden I look down, and it's Tess. Tess got little tears coming down her face. She said, baby, you okay? What's wrong? Of course, it's packed and noisy. What's wrong, baby? You all right? You sick at your stomach? And she muttered something. I couldn't hear. She said, what? What would you say? And she said, me get to see Frontierland. I said, baby, you can't see it all in one day. It's too big. Well, I want to see Frontierland. And I lost my salvation right there on that boat. <laughs> I have busted my can, saved money, pled the blood, believed Jesus. It was like, I said, don't you worry. We're coming back. I'm going to bring you back. You're going to get sick of Mickey Mouse. I'm going to make you sick of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so we came back the next year, stayed at the same Armada Inn, got a three-day pass. Now, you've got to be tall enough to ride some of those rides. So I stuffed toilet paper in my kid's shoes. I'm not making this up. Like I said, get on your toes, get on, get on that ride, get on that ride. You're riding everything, get on that stinking ride. I don't care if you puke your guts out, get on that ride. And, buddy, we wore that thing out. Now, we don't go very often anymore, but we went a lot for a while. And when we went, we finally got to where we would fly down. I didn't drive anymore. You can get great tickets on southwest out of Tulsa for almost nothing. So we'd fly down, and the limo would pick us up. We'd stay at the downtown Hilton. Uh, swimming pools on the seventh floor. Got big old palm trees. And uh, uh, you walk through the hallway, they have live birds that'll talk to you as you walk through the hallway. Rock, <laughs> back, you know. Uh, the breakfast buffet is not some stale bagel. They got smoked salmon on the breakfast buffet. Now, the reason I tell you that story is we didn't get there overnight. You don't get anywhere overnight. It starts with a vision. You make a plan. You get some scriptures. Use your faith. Ask some questions. Like I said, I, got, I always went before June 1st. Man, we got the best rates. I'm the cheapest rates. It's amazing. quite I'm getting smarter. I'm getting smarter. Money is something you have to plan for. America's got all, has a lottery, they're wanting to win. Oh, win. Something. Oh, win. You know, win nothing. The Bible says so. You need to plan, not win. You win it quick, you lose it. Quick, you get it slow, you keep it. <laughs> I want to keep what I get. I don't want to lose it. So, channels of income, you've got to find out what you're good at because people are going to pay you for what you're good at. And I don't care what it is. We were staying at a really beautiful bed and breakfast north of Atlanta, Marietta. Uh, Marietta. And uh, we're speaking to this church. We're in this bed and breakfast. Sweet lady and uh, a little Episcopal lady. And, uh, and so, um, so we're eating breakfast. And I don't like bed and breakfast because I don't want to visit with anybody else. I, I like people. I visit with them all the time. But when I go home, I'm going to be my wife and I don't want to talk to you, especially at breakfast. Shut up. I don't talk to you. I'm thinking right now. I think I. And so we're down visiting all the other people, and Denise loves it. me. I'm just tolerating it. So I thought, well, I need to get in the middle of this. So I asked the lady that owned the bed and breakfast. said, man, this is sure is a pretty place you've got here. This magnificent, older home. they restored five bedrooms and all. I said, this is something. I said, is this your, you own this place? Uh-huh. Yeah, I own this and the one next to it down the street. My daughter runs that one. I said, really? I said, how did you, how did you get two big expensive houses, Marietta, for a bed and breakfast? She said, well... When I was a child, I thought, oh, dear God. She's going back to her childhood. I just want a short answer. I'm trying to eat my breakfast. Don't do this. She said, when I was a child, I used to love to draw. And so when my mom, we lived out in the country, owned a farm. When mom would get up early cooking breakfast, you know, fixing dad's eggs before he'd go off to work and then before I'd go off to school, she'd give me a blank piece of paper and a big old pencil, and she'd let me draw. Well, I drew pictures of kitchen stuff every morning of my life. I'd draw the eggs and the pans and the stove and mom and dad, and I got where I was real good at it. And so... Anyhow, I'm with and so when I got married, my husband had a good job, made a good living, and because uh, and I'd ask her, I said, would your husband buy these houses? She said, no, I bought these houses. I thought I said, I thought you didn't work. She said, well, I didn't work, but I had a hobby. And so this is why she went back to her childhood and said, my husband went off to work, and I'd sit there, and I'd draw this stuff. So I got to thinking one day, you know, I wonder if I could do anything with this. So, um, I, I was just looking at them, and so I had a friend in one of the Bible studies, and the lady said, you ought to submit those to somebody. And so long story short, she submitted to this guy. And she said, well, you know what you need to do? You need to turn that into a cookbook. A cookbook? She said, yeah, just, just put a sketch. It's all kitchen stuff, so put it in the top right-hand corner of every page of the recipe. She said, I don't know how to cook. I, I never did cook. I never learned to cook. My husband cooks. I don't cook anything. I can't even boil an egg. You know, it's just one of those things. I'm a great wife, good lover, but I don't cook. And she said, So the guy said, well, no, put it in a blank cookbook what? Blank cookbook, yeah, where you can buy the book and put your favorite recipes in it and give it as a gift and then put one of your pictures up at the top, one for meats, castro's desserts, soups, so forth. And she did, so she designed it, found to a, found a print it, and she sold 80,000 of those. She, she never went anywhere except high school. And so she took the money from the 80,000 cookbooks and bought two bed and breakfasts. And makes you a good mind. Now I'm telling you, what is your talent? I draw kitchen stuff. What do you do? Well, I'm a heart surgeon. I'm an astronaut. I'm an engineer. I draw kitchen stuff. Did real good for me. Do you understand? It's not what your gift is. It's steward the gift God gave you. And be a blessing to somebody with it. Quit comparing yourself with somebody else. I'm not you. I can't do what you do. I got to do what I'm supposed to do. Have mercy. I'll give you this last two right here. Power to get wealth. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Um, sowing and reaping. Number one, you got to tithe. Tithing's not an option. I don't know why here at church all over America. Well, tithe, that's Old Testament. No, it's in the New Testament. i got eight pages of it in here, all the scriptures. God set up tithing. God doesn't need my money. Streets are paved with gold. Gates are made out of a solid pearl. God needs my faith. It's my faith behind the money. My local church needs my money. My tithe goes to church on the move, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's my home church. We tithe there, and we support missionaries there. We also do building projects. My tithe goes there. There is a promise to tithe. If I tithe, God said, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing there won't be room enough to receive it. Now, if you look up the word blessing, it's almost like creative ideas. God said, I'll give you witty inventions. I'll give you the ability to get well. And so I pull on that all the time. I'm a tither. The devourer has been rebuked for my sake. I'm blessed. Now, you have to put your faith with it. Just throwing a check in the bucket won't get you blessed. It's your faith behind the money that you give. It's the faith thing. So you've got to make sure you've got scriptures when, when you say that. Now, I like this back here in the back. Uh, <laughs> people don't, I, this is the one I get yelled at the most. Favorite get yelled at for something. Um, John D. Rockefeller. Uh, pick somebody. John D. Rockefeller, by the way, the Rockefeller, he was born Poor. His father sold phony cancer cures. His mother was an alcoholic. He slept in an attic, did not have a bedroom. At age 11, a friend took him to Sunday school. He heard the gospel for the first time, got saved that morning, morning, and the subject happened to be on tithing. The Sunday he got saved at age 11. He became a tither. He was making 60 cents a week at a a hay and grain company. He started tithing 6 cents a week. You can look it up in your public library. So that says, almost everybody has heard of the Rockefellers and the Rockefeller Foundation, but few people know the secret of John D. Rockefeller's wealth and his obedience and tithing. He was born on a farm in 1839. His father was a charlatan and a womanizer. Beginning with his first job, he earned 60 cents as an errand boy, and he timed 10% of his income in church every week while working for a hay and grain company. He started an oil business on the side. By 1880, Rockefeller controlled 95% of the oil in America. The federal government, Congress met and passed the Sherman Antitrust Act. Our government, the single most powerful government in the world, had to meet and make a law against one man. The most powerful government in the world had to meet and make a law against one man who had got that wealthy. Born poor... Born with nothing, messed up parents, but he heard a message that if you give, God would give back to you, good measure, pressed down, shake together, running over. And so he controlled 95% of the oil in the United States of America. In 1905, in 1905, at age 92, his tithe that year was $100 million. Now, you, I got that from the public library. Now I could read stories all day long. God didn't lie. God's a God of stewardship. Okay? Now, you're going to find family members saying, you giving your money to church? You better believe it. I'm giving. <laughs> Who have mercy. I'm telling you. Now, listen, when I was first, I got laid off. Got born again, Spirit filled. First time I got laid off. Got my severance check. Like $1,230 or something. Got laid off on Wednesday, and that's when I got my pink stuff. Oh, my goodness, I'm laid off. Man, this check won't last three months. I'm going to be broke. Then I started at the North Chattanooga Church of God because she got to become a Pentecostal, and I just got spirit filled, so we're going down there, been there a few months. Wednesday night service, we need Jesus. My God, I got laid off. Where's God at? So we're down there, and all of a sudden, the pastor went there that night. They had the music leader teaching, and he was teaching on the history of music and Church of God. It was horrible. <laughs> I don't care, and I didn't learn nothing. I need Jesus, and of all times, to have this been taught. So we're sitting there. We took the offering and tithing up always at the end of the service. <laughs> so, so now listen. You don't tithe to me. You don't tithe to guest speakers. You don't tithe to preachers on TV. You tithe to your local church. My blessings tied to the tithe that goes to my local church. You understand that? Amen. So this thing don't beg any goofy ideas. So anyhow, we're there, and all of a sudden they're passing the plate and taking out. And Denise leaned over and said, "Joe, you need to put the check in the bucket." I'm sitting there, and I'm depressed. I said, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for a living. i got to pay rent. I don't have a job. Baby, I didn't bring any checks. No, no, you need to put the severance check in the bucket. Baby, I'm not cashed it yet. Put the whole check in the bucket. This is all we got to live off of for the next three months. Well, that means we're going to be broken three months. Might as well make a seed out of it. Put it in the bucket. Now, people can hear us. They're turning around, and we're yelling. You know? And so I got mad. I am so messed up that night. Fine. Fine. We'll put it in the bucket. Let me sign it. Praise God. Let's give it to Jesus. And I showed that. To there was an ounce of faith in there. There you go. We give it to Jesus tonight. Man, I don't have $35 in my name. My rent's due the next day. It's only $55, but I only got $35 on me. So I had to go ask my landlady, ma'am, I just got laid off. I don't have money for rent. You got anything I can do to pay my rent? Well, she owned a bunch of rent houses, and I didn't know that. So I painted houses, built carports for six months. I worked for her just to pay rent and eat some food. Six months later, the guy I'd worked for in the lab at Olin Masson called me. His name's Bill Clark. He's in Sykes, Missouri. He said, Joe, you got a job yet? I said, no, sir. I'm working part-time and full-time and part-time and no time. I'm just trying to survive. He said, well, I want to hire you. I want you to come to Sykes, Missouri. I want to hire you. Well, I was a lab technician. I said, well, you mean you got a job for a lab technician? Nope. No, I want to hire you as an engineer. I, I said, I'm not an engineer. I only got one year of college, and they actually don't, didn't let me come back after I got out. It <laughs> didn't go real good. No, no, I know that, but you know we've got a startup company. You know what we need to know. I've got an engineer with a degree. I need another engineer with practical sense. You know how to run this shop. You know what we do. I need you. If you'll come out, I'll send you to night school, and I'll pay for you to finish your degree. And I'm thinking, oh, dear Lord, that's something, that's something. And all of a sudden, Denise is listening because she's excited. And what is it? It's a job. You know? And I said, well, uh, okay. He said, I'm going to start you. And he'd go to the starting salary. And Denise like, and it was a hundredfold return on that check in that bucket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't get that. My wife got that. <laughs> but it taught me a lesson. We went to Bible school. and God blessed me. I had a brand new home, new car. I am working as an engineer. Four years later, God called us in the ministry. Sold our house in record time. Put it up for sale. An hour later, I sold it to a guy driving by for a phone company, a town 65 miles south. Been transferred up. He walked in my house and said, I'll take it right now and I'll give you cash. And so it was a miracle, a miracle, 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 miracle. Uh, we sold our house and I resigned from my job. My boss, when I resigned, asked me to go to uh, Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, it's his vice president making big money. It's like the devil shows up right before you get ready to do something else. He'll show up and hang a carrot in front of you. I said, "No, I'm called. I got to go do this." So we get out to Bible school. We got a U-Haul pulling my truck behind. Gave my car away. Gave my tools away. You know, we just we're just hanging by wild faith. And so I can't find a place to store my furniture. The cell phones hadn't been invented yet. It was 102 degrees. We're staying at a Howard Johnson's hotel. And so every day I'm just trying to. So I walk into Vanita Fair Realty, ma'am. I'm looking for a rent house, and she busts out laughing. You here to go to Bible school, aren't you? Yes, ma'am, you should have been there three months ago, son. There are no rent places in Tulsa. We're packed. And I'm thinking, well, no, I've got a place, and I'm looking for a three-bedroom house fenced-in back garage. You know, garage, I my mean backyard, a two-car garage. And she just laughed at me. So I left. So nobody couldn't find any place. So three days later, I got to turn this, I got to turn this U-Haul in. Well, I can't find it because all the storage buildings are full because everybody's going to go. Victory Bible, Rainbow Bible, train, send O-R-U. the place, there's nothing. There's nothing. And so it's hot. So we go back three days. I can't find a place to store my furniture. I can't. Forget a job. I'm not even looking for a job. I can't even find a place to rent. I can't find a place. To, so I go back to Howard Johnson's. I'm on my face on that shag orange carpet. I'm crying, praying in the Holy Ghost. Oh, shalom I'm just praying. My wife sitting there, and finally, I got a thought. I need to call my pastor, Roger Arnell Carball. Cape, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I call him up and I said, so, uh, so I got Roger on the phone. Great pastor. I said, Pastor Roger, I just want to know we miss missed God because they were going to support us $50 a month. Don't send any money. I've missed God. I'm not supposed to be in the ministry, man. We're out here and I can't find a place to rent, store my furniture. I'm not even looking for a job. My babies are both sick back in Missouri. They've never been sick. They're both running a high fever and I evidently sick in God. I'm supposed to go to West Virginia. He said, Wait a minute, Joe. Let me let R&L talk to you. And RNL taught Sunday school at our church. Twice as many people went to Sunday school as they did to the regular church. People loved her, didn't care for him. Sweet guy, just couldn't teach his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> so Arnell was a Holy Ghost woman. So Arnell gets on the phone, great woman. She's still alive today. And says, said, hey, Joe, I said, "Hell, Arnell. I said, Pastor Arnell, I just to let you know that we missed God. We've been there for three days, and we can't find a place to live. We can't find a place to store furniture. Our babies are sick. We've not even looked for a job yet. And I just think we miss God. And she starts yelling, shut up, shut up, you shut up. And so I, and, and Denise, and I was like, well, oh, she told me shut. And for 20 seconds she took off praying in the holy. shut that she just cut loose. What you do? Pantons. And finally she said, I've loosed the angels of God. You'll have a house in 20 minutes. And hung up. Now I'm standing there. I'm two hours after checkout. I got placed in the furniture in my truck. I've given away my car. I've quit my good paying job. I've sold my nice house. My babies are sick. And I told my wife, my dad's right. We're in a cult. She's going to lose some angels, and we're going to have a house. And so there's two half beds, plastic chair between them, and a little light stand. So I, I got up, and I went up, and i turned that chair around. Denise gets up. She's packing her pocketbook. 20 minutes. We've got to move. You move when God gives you word. And so I sit down on my chair, put my feet on that bed, cross my legs upon that bed, and I stared at that plastic clock on the wall. It was 2 o'clock. She said, what are you doing? God's got 20 minutes to get me a house. So I'm going to West Virginia. I've been working for God for three days, and he stinks. He's never treated me this bad. And so Denise is crying, sitting on the bed. I said, 17 minutes ago, by the phone ring. So I know what it is. They're wanting me out of the hotel. I should have checked out at noon. It's it's two seventeen. So I'm half said, Hello. And this voice said, is this Joe McGee? I said, yes. Like you don't know who I am. I'm in the room. He said, well, I don't know if you remember This is Vanita Fair with Vanita Fair Realty. Yes, ma'am. Well, you were in here three days ago looking for a three-bedroom, two-car garage, fenced-in backyard. Yes, ma'am. Well, you're not going to believe this, but we had a couple that were wanting to sell that house like that, and they decided they want to rent it. It's about a half a mile from the Bible school. Are you still interested in that house? Yes, ma'am. I, I, I'll, I'll be right there. And all I said, just don't shoot me, Jesus. I am so sorry. Dear God, I'm so sorry. Now, I wish I could tell you smooth after that. I've had many faith trials since then, but I got that house, and that woman prayed a prayer. There have been so many times in our life when somebody else has prayed us through, prayed us over, and prayed us in. It's time we need to join the group and start praying with everybody else. We are living in the greatest time of human history. If I could have got permission from God, I would ask to have been born in the last days when God's Spirit's poured out without measure. I know the Second Timothy 3, I know uh, the Jude verse 14, the Matthew 24, I know all the hell it's going on in the last days, but God's moving more than the devil's moving. People are being saved by the bucket load all over this planet. U.S. News and World Report wrote an article uh, last March about this crazy revival in Africa. They're concerned because this crazy revival in Africa where they're getting filled with the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues and casting out devils. It was in. U.S. News and World Report, it was an eight-page article. And they're concerned at this crazy, wild revival because they have no head. Billy Graham's not in charge. The Pope's not in charge. And they're afraid it's going to get out of hand, this crazy revival the continent of Africa. God's moving like a freight train. He doesn't take out a billboard or a newspaper editorial, but God is moving Let's not go through the last days and miss the last great move of God. God wants to bless you in your home and your family, and this is going to be the year of Jubilee, I do believe. Let's stand up and we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of these people. They've come out, Lord. Those you said that would draw near to you, you know why cast them out, Lord. I believe... Every word they've heard, the Holy Ghost is going to bring to their remembrance. May it bear 100-fold fruit in their lives. May you talk to them when they go to sleep and when they get up, Father. I thank you, Lord. The hope has been renewed and faith has been stirred for their families, Lord. I believe great victories are on hand right now. I thank you that the angels have already been loosed to watch over the word that's in them. May this be, May 2013, Father, 20, you know, 13, that's the number of times he walked around the walls of Jericho. That's a good number. The devil's perverted. But that's a good number. May this be a jubilee year for us. May this be a year when all things are made right, where the devil has to pay back seven times whatever he stole. I pray a jubilee year over our families, our finances, our ministries, our businesses. This will be a jubilee year. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Man, thank you, guys. You've been so good. God bless you. Pastor.